Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in 3, 2, 1. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 80, is being recorded on January the 16th of 2018. Today's topics, spectral scans, Star Trek Discovery episode number 11, The Wolf Inside. This will be a spoiler-filled episode. You have been warned. I'm Eric Dewey. I'm Aaron Gallo. And I'm Eric Berry. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover Designs and Illustration. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off your order. How's everyone doing today? I'm doing well so far. Um, glad to be sitting down talking Trek and uh, not doing other things like work and stuff. Yeah. Boo, work. <laughs> it's definitely a Tuesday. <laughs> uh, I've actually been off the last two days, yesterday and today, because I had to, I had to move my schedule all around because I had uh, some appointments that needed to be made. Uh, so... I was off yesterday and today, and I'm looking forward to a long three days in a row. Because I work 10-hour shifts, so it, it, yeah, it's only three days before I have another day off, but it's going to seem longer than that because it's going to be three long days. I know boo-hoo on me, right? But... <laughs> Curse you and your non-traditional work schedule! <laughs> it's going to be three long days of well, listening to Doctor Who while typing in orders. Since I finished up the entirety I've, I've done a complete star trek rewatch minus only the uh kelvin verse films and uh the animated series and those are the only mm-hmm. things i didn't watch this go through i watched everything else all the movies, my god the shows how long did that take not as long as it should have you know based on how much i got <laughs> got to watch it work you know i uh i would burn through especially uh you know through some of the series yeah i could burn through seven eight episodes a night during a shift you know and <laughs> 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 uh, uh, my days off i would usually watch two or three episodes just you know whenever so um i just started uh so when i finished the trek rewatch i started a doctor who rewatch because i actually am a full season behind like the the last season that's up on amazon right now i haven't mm-hmm. watched any of so i haven't watched, i haven't seen a single capaldi episode except for the christmas special where he became the doctor so that's how far backed up i am so i'm like you know what i'm gonna start from eccleston and rewatch him through until i'm caught up again i i definitely need to do that with doctor who there's quite a few seasons i missed and there's yeah. so many great great episodes there's also quite a few it's very much like trek in that respect is that there are some brilliant episodes and there are some stinkers and there are many in the middle that are just uh forgettable episodes you know episodes that you watch and then you know a year later you're watching go did i have i seen this and i I guess i did (laughs) but it's kind of funny actually i was just comparing it the other day to trek because the last couple of seasons of tenants run very next genish to me in that they were fun episodes they were good well-written episodes good storytelling but it was very episodic there wasn't a whole lot of overreaching story arc in between them there was a little bit you know just a little bit but then when they started up with smith the very first season with smith it's a definite story arc it's very much more deep space nine you know it jumps into you still have the the episodic nature where each each episode does have its own story but 
they are also weaving in this whole arc that pays off at the very end that's that's so wonderful so you know i'd very much compare those two types of shows um you know just because of the the way they're presented yeah actually i wanted to ask you because uh you did a truck rewatch was there anything that changed for you perception wise for some series or anything like that I, I didn't dislike Enterprise nearly as much as I remembered disliking Enterprise. Okay, like, I good. Through, I was like, okay, you know what? Actually, I wh- why didn't this go on? Like this, this should have gotten a little bit more. There's still, I think that Enterprise's biggest problem was that I never felt connected to more than like three of the characters. Sure. Honestly, beyond Archer and maybe to Paul, like I never had a strong connection to any of the the characters. You know, really, like not not even trip or not trip a little bit, uh, you know. But Mayweather, I forgot no. on the show. <laughs> um, I think he forgot he was on the show sometimes. <laughs> even Malcolm sometimes it would just be like, "Oh, hey, this guy's here," you know. It's like I never felt a strong, strong connection to really many of the characters. Not never in the way that I did, especially on. I mean. Next gen, I felt something with every character practically. Um, even Voyager, you got to know him a little better. I feel Voyager. I don't know. Somewhere around season four, I think it is. Somebody decided to try to rewrite the way that uh, Kim and Paris interacted with each other, and it was just the weirdest change in dynamic that threw so many things off. Like I, I didn't understand. Sudden. You mean when they you mean when they went full like buddy buddy? Yeah, they went to all of a sudden, hey, we're poking fun at each other every single episode, like make cracking jokes. We're not just, you know, talking or doing things together. Like it suddenly became a specifically jokey relationship. So almost like Miles and Bashir in a way. That felt still more real to me. Like I mm-hmm. bought it more <laughs> than I bought the the Kim Paris thing. At the beginning, I thought it was fine. You know, it's like Paris was kind of a loner. Nobody really wanted to talk to him that much. So he sought out the other loner on the ship and was like, hey, you know, nobody else wants to talk to me. Maybe this guy will. So it made a little bit of sense at the beginning. It was the shift in tone. I think it was season four where they, they tried to make it. Yeah, like a like a buddy cop flick where they were like just joking off each other all the time. And it's just like, yeah, it's tiresome, guys. Just get to the point of the story because your your jokes aren't landing. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I didn't mind it as much. Then again, apparently I'm a Voyager apologist, so whatever. <laughs> um, but no, like I, I like their whole like Captain Proton thing. I, I like that they would do like these holodeck jaunts. Kind of, so to me, it, it was like a Miles and and Bashir, but I guess lesser in some way. But right. I don't know. I thought their relationship was all right. I didn't, I didn't have a problem with them being friends. It was just that, that tone shift. Like, there was a definite yeah. shift in, in tone, and it was weird because it was it was jarring. I was like, wait a minute. That's not the type of relationship these two have had up until this point. Why are they suddenly kind of forcing this, this different thing upon us? I don't know. I'm sure there's reasons out there. Maybe they got, you know, a lot of comments. Maybe people were like, hey, you know, I like everything, but uh, Kim, and, Kim and Paris should joke more. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm glad that uh, your perception of Enterprise changed because I think too many people give that series a bad rap, and 
I mean, the first two seasons, yeah, it was still trying to find its footing, and, you know, a lot of people felt that it was too much like other Star Treks. But, man, those those third and fourth seasons are some really good Star Trek, I yeah. think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely agree. It really got, it, it kind of got cut right when it was getting into its groove. Right. If it had yeah, yeah. a couple more seasons, I think we would have gotten some really amazing storytelling out of it. I just wanted more Shran. <laughs> you and your Andorian fetish. <laughs> it's not a fetish, Aaron. Uh-huh. Say what it's you will. Just, it's just an obsession. <laughs> okay. All right. There's a difference. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah. On that note. <laughs> uh, let's uh, jump into the news. So, the William Shatner fan club is back. I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't even know there was one to begin with, originally. Oh, I didn't yeah. know there was one to to come back to. Right. <laughs> and apparently, the old one was a paid fan club. This time around... I don't mean to laugh. Yeah. Of course. My goodness. It's it Shatner. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, but this time around, it's no cost to join. <laughs> The benefits. No one joined it in the first place. Yeah, but I mean the the benefits of it is is purely. I I guess it's exclusive merchandise, so you get a chance to buy stuff. I guess contests, exclusive photos, uh, and video, quarterly Q and As with Shatner, and the ability to purchase a ticket to the William Shatner Fan Club Weekend. There it is. Oh boy. The, the whole weekend of him. Yeah. So basically, you're joining this club to spend money on William Shatner merchandise. Oh, yeah. You know what? I, I, I think I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> My general reaction to this news was... Was what? <laughs> he popped, popped out of existence? <laughs> it was a... Big whoop. <laughs> oh, a big whoop. <laughs> I was thinking something else, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I popped my top for this news. It was amazing. No, I... Why would anyone do this? <laughs> someone must. If it's a thing, someone I, must be willing to join. I, I would join a Captain Kirk fan club in a heart. Yeah. I might even think about joining a Denny Crane fan club. Because that was a cool character. William Shatner has proven on many occasions that he's not the type of person that I would be in a fan club of. Some of yeah. his characters, absolutely. But as as an individual, I'll, I'll have to go ahead and take a hard pass on this. Yeah, no, I I agree. I thought I was tempted to join just to see what it was all about. Well, now that it's free, I mean, you, you could you could join to uh, to be a spy on the inside. You know, find out what what are they saying in there. Right. I'll leave that up to you, though, because I have no interest. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, next up here, we have Quentin Tarantino might be involved with Star Trek Four, and Patrick Stewart might be interested in returning for Tarantino. Okay, if we can get a Tarantino-helmed Next Generation film, I'd be down for it. Otherwise, I don't know. Like, Star Trek Four, J.J. verse again, but... Tarantino. I mean, where are we going to have like another R-rated truck going on here? It's... I, 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 I don't know. I know he's an amazing director and people like him and he's had some great movies, but I know 
always a big Star Trek fan, but I just, I can't see, like, a super violent, like, super swearing Star Trek. I just, I can't. Yeah, I don't mind them going darker and taking on more mature subject matter. You know, we've seen it in discovery obviously with uh, some of the language and some of the effects being a little bit more brutal and stuff and i'm okay with that as long as it's part of the storytelling tarantino has never really spoken to me like honestly i i liked pulp fiction as a movie but more as an oddity than for its storytelling like i enjoyed it but it's not something that i was like oh this is the best thing ever it's more like oh okay yeah i kind of dig the you know it's an interesting way to tell a story and it was kind of cool and unique and okay fine I've honestly not really liked anything else he's done since then. There is, uh, I'm not a fan of Tarantino's work. It's not my, it's not my bag, baby. But I'm super on board to have Patrick Stewart back in Star Trek. So I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm really, really torn on this because on the one hand, I'm like, I don't know if Tarantino would try too hard to Tarantino up Star Trek and make it something that it shouldn't be. But I love Patrick Stewart. Now, Patrick Stewart fan club, that I'd be on board. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. I'd, I'd pay money for a Patrick Stewart fan club. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, calling it Star Trek Four if Patrick Stewart was involved. I, I mean, if you got Patrick Stewart, he's got to be Picard. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I don't know if the studio would walk away from, you know, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto and all those guys. No, we would probably end know? up with another time travel storyline of some sort. But I, I'm you just, I'm done with those. Yeah, that's probably what we'd end up with, because I doubt very much they're going to give us a next-gen movie at this point. With all of the actors being uh, where they are in life and such, I mean, it, w- it would have to be a, you know next gen from the time period of the far time period in uh, all good things, you know, it would have to be like way out in the future from even where next gen was anyway. So if they brought him back, it's hard to say, you know, obviously, yeah, he would have to be Picard. There's really no other way to, to use him properly. I mean, just having Patrick Stewart there, to have Patrick Stewart there is not enough. We, if we want, yeah. if we have Trek with Stewart in it, we want Picard. Unless Tarantino makes the, the uh, JJ Enterprise crew uh, go visit France, and we see a Picard, you know, <laughs> making wine on the vineyard, like his granddad. Yeah, exactly. Like his great granddad. Yeah, yeah. It'd have to be a, a, at least a great, if not two greats, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know, it, it it's very interesting in theory. Like I said, I love Patrick Stewart and honestly if they whoever makes the next Star Trek movie, I'm going to watch it. I mean, it's whether or not I watch it multiple times in the theater, that's going to depend on how good it is. You know, they're going to get one watching out of it out of me just by being Star Trek. Whether or not they get multiple viewings and my stamp of approval to tell everybody else to go watch it, that's going to depend on how good it actually is. Right. Yeah, moving on here. CBS All Access, now available as an Amazon channel, add-on to Prime Video. Yeah, I thought this was kind of interesting. It's just uh, another way to make it for people to still give CBS the exact same amount of money, but 
you can do it within the Amazon ecosystem instead of having a separate app. And a lot of people really like that. I know I have the Amazon Prime and I have the Showtime and the Stars. Uh, no, I'm sorry, the Showtime and the Cinemax uh, add-on channels for Prime. But then I have Stars and HBO separate. And I sometimes wish I hadn't done that, that I, that I had just got them all within Amazon. So I just have the one app. Wouldn't have to worry about, you know, I've got like seven different apps on my phone for these various services and such. So it's an easier way for some people because they can just add it onto their Amazon without having to subscribe to another service. They can access the content through Amazon's interface instead of the ridiculous CBS interface <laughs> still need to fix. And as of right now, they're only offering the no commercial plan. So if you're going for the save a few bucks but watch some commercials plan, that's not going to be available to you just yet. I, I believe they are planning on offering that in the future. But right now, if you have Amazon Prime and have not yet subscribed to CBS All Access, you can do so directly through Amazon. It is the nine ninety nine a month. It is the no commercials plan. But it does, will allow you to watch all of the CBS content through the Amazon apps on whatever devices you're using instead of having to use the CBS app. What I really... Uh-huh. Amazon would do. This is what my dream would be. If Amazon took all the things that they have the ability to add channels to and let you plug in your credentials if you have that separately. If, if for whatever reason, because I actually got HBO before I got Amazon Prime. So I had that before they even offered it. Or in this case, like I had CBS before they offered it as a channel. Like I'd love to be able to just go into my Amazon account, say, I have this, here's my credentials, sign in, and then be able to use Yes. In that ecosystem instead of having to change apps or change services. Like right now what I would have to do is cancel my CBS All Access and then re-sign up through Amazon Prime. And I don't want to do that So because I'm lazy. Yeah, I mean, I was actually thinking about canceling All Access just so I could get it with my Prime. Because to me... I mean, the CBS All Access app, they are improving it. Like, I noticed on my mobile device, you know, now there's a 10-second skip that wasn't available before. Mm-hmm. They just don't have the 10-second fast-forward skip like every other program ever. So, I mean, they're getting there, but if I could just watch it in Amazon's thing, yeah, I'm I'm down for it. But, yeah, I wish to make it easier. I, I like your suggestion, Eric. Just... Give me a way to sign in saying, wait, I already have this. Just let me watch it with you guys. That'd be fine. So I'm wondering, does Amazon get some revenue from Oh, they have to. There has to be some deal worked out. So if they were to do it like uh, Mr. Uh, Dewey suggested, Amazon probably wouldn't be making any money on that. No, that would have to be just something that they do for their customers. Like, you know, give them the option to sign up through Amazon, but have just a little link. It doesn't have to be a big banner saying, hey, look here. All it has to do is be an option. Mm-hmm. A little link that says, I already have this service, and click on it and says, okay, sign in here. And maybe they could count that, you know, maybe Amazon and CBS could work out a deal. You know, they get X amount of dollars for X number of people who are using the Amazon ecosystem for their app specifically, you know, without getting a direct revenue from the purchase price, just have it be set up. I'm sure they could work something out. I mean, they've got hundreds of lawyers working on these deals. I'm sure one of them could be like, here's what we do for every hundred people that sign into CBS through Amazon. We kick you back a hundred bucks or something, you know, whatever the, I don't know what the actual numbers 
<laughs> would look like, but just something to to give. It would be more of a customer service thing than a, a sales point for them. I see. Well, hopefully they enable that because that sounds like it'd be great for the customers anyway. Next up here, the Trek Files audio podcast, a weekly 15-minute podcast, will be hosted by Larry Nemechek on Roddenberry and will premiere on January 23rd, and it will also be carried on Trek FM. So if you're a fan of Larry, which I know we are, give it a listen. Yeah, I do like, uh, I'm usually a fan of longer form podcasts, obviously, that's why I do longer form podcasts, but I do like the occasional quick ones, you know, something that I can listen to in the car on my way to work or something like that, like just long enough for a short drive or something like that, as opposed to something that I would, you know, listen to while at work, you know, for several hours, so... Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be interesting. I'll definitely be giving it a listen, and uh, we'll probably be reporting back on what we think. Finally in the news, something I almost completely forgot about, there's this rumor of CBS and Viacom slash Paramount potentially remerging, which would bring Star Trek back under one company control. Look how we've come full circle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's all coming back together. (laughs) It's the magic of television, folks. Uh, well, in general, I'm usually against these big media mergers because it just com- it usually gives too much power to individual companies. Like, I-, I love the fact that Disney is bringing back Star Wars and is doing fantastic stuff with Star Wars. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, wow, Disney now controls Star Wars and Marvel and all this. And in addition to everything Disney already controlled, it's like, you know, at, at some point we're going to have to be looking at does anybody else make anything? <laughs> well, here's here's another potential uh, interesting tidbit. This is kind of hot on Twitter right now, but did you guys see that I guess Spike TV is closing? Because they're, they're being re-ban- rebranded as the Paramount Network? Yeah. And so on Twitter right now, uh, the Spike TV Twitter handle is just doing, it's like, well, since we're closing Thursday... We're going to air out some dirty laundry, and it's all one big stunt. Like, they're just making all these, like, insane tweets. But, I mean, Paramount Pictures coming back together with Viacom and and CBS, and now you've got this Paramount network, and it's like, I I just feel like it's deja vu all over again with Star Trek. Would they air Star Trek shows on the Paramount network? You know what I mean? Like, Like, reruns and stuff? So... When I was overseas... Uh, in, I want to, I want to say it was Italy. There was a Paramount network, uh, and it looks like it's basically the same channel just over here in the States. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's, it's not going to be like UPN, hopefully. I will never forgive UPN for bringing back and ruining Viper. I love Viper. Viper was awesome (laughs) until the UPN brought it back and it was a shell of its former self. That's what I meant. I mean, oh, Viper was so great. I loved it. It, it, it was great, yeah. I, I love Viper. Because normally I say Viper, and they're like, there was a, there was a TV show called Viper? What? <laughs> there was? And I'm like, yeah, ser- like, seriously, like, do you not even know the... Like, I will go into a tirade about it. Do you know that sh- that 
car was not even intended to be made. It was a concept car only. Yep. Paramount saw it, said, I want this one. We've got this concept of a TV show we're going to make. We want to use your car. People saw the show, demanded the car. Dodge started making it. Like, the car wouldn't exist without the show. I feel like and- we've had this conversation on the podcast. <laughs> And and you know what that that show was basically since you know it was a Dodge Viper, all the cars in the background were Dodge. It was oh. like one huge Dodge commercial. It was it was definite product placement for Dodge, no doubt. Uh, oh man, I would kill for one of those Viper Defender models. Only two I, were ever made, and one of yes. them is still missing. I got to see one when the show was airing. I, I must have been like eleven or twelve. And they had it at the Chicago Auto Show. And I've got this picture with me and my sister. And my dad took the picture, and we were in front of the Viper Defender model that they used in the show. It's such a freaking cool car. I I know we're way off topic, but you you brought up Viper, and I I love that show. I'm, I'm right there with you. They need to put it out on DVD or something. Like, it is literally the, the only way to, to watch Viper now is to find some very poorly ripped copies on YouTube or other yeah. sites of that nature. Um, and I tried. I, I did actually try to watch it, and it just, it's such a poor quality copy. I mean, I would pay. I'd, I'd pay 15 20 bucks for a DVD of the first couple of seasons at least. You know, the, the seasons that were actually on, uh, you know, I think, was it CBS or was it NBC when it came out originally? I forget. But, yeah, when UPN came out, they're like, hey, we're going to restart this show. And they completely changed all of the characters. They only kept one actor from the original right. seasons. And they completely changed his character to be, like, the way more mellow than he was. He was, like, this twitchy guy in the original. And then they totally mellowed him out. I'm like, why? Oh, Okay, I'm. I has a sad about about Viper. Uh, we can we can move on and talk about things that won't won't give me sads. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's move on to the next segment of the show. Would you buy it? And Eric and Eric, would you buy either of these? We have two today. Absolutely not. I saw these on Twitter uh, a couple weeks ago, and I saw the picture of it, and I said, this is awesome. And then, much like last week's Would You Buy It, I clicked the link, saw the price, and said, never mind. It's a really cool little thing. Not anywhere close to worth the money they want for it. It would need to have some super special features to to be anywhere close to the money they're asking for. And I agree with both of you. Uh, It is cool... For the most part, though, and we're talking about the Star Trek TOS and TNG bridge set lamps available through ThinkGeek, and they sell for about $100 a piece. That's that's no. where they lose me. I mean, these things are really cool. Like, I saw the detail on the TNG one, which if I were to get one, that would be the one I would get for sure. And it's really cool. It's, you know, it's basically just a little bridge set. And then, like, basically from right behind where the security station would be is where the lamp post comes up. And then you've got, a, you know, a lampshade, whatever. But the the actual bridge set is really cool. It's very detailed for how small it is. And it's not that small. It's not, like, super tiny. But it's really detailed. And for... 40 maybe 45 dollars 
I might be able to justify that purchase. I mean, I could use a lamp in the studio here. I've got just one light in here right now, and sometimes it's a little dark, darker than I want. So, uh, yeah, I, I could see myself having a place for it even, but not for 100 bucks. That's a little, little too much. Well, I was reading the description of this product, and right at the bottom it says, Prop 65 warning. This product may contain chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer and birth defects or other reproductive harm. Well, I wasn't going to eat the lamp. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, why, why even, why even, and why even risk it? To me, this, this reminds me of like the freaking leg lamp from a Christmas story. Like it's super nerdy. I, I don't even know why this crap like this exists. Like, I, we got to find another source other than ThinkGeek because th- they'll slap anything and, and make it a Star Trek product. Oh, who would fill their house with all this crap? Like, seriously. Someone must. No. That's why I no. is so that I can any any uh, useless crap I get can uh, be down the studio. I'm looking at my 3D printed uh, Discovery Phaser right now. I'm looking at my lightsaber. I'm looking at my uh, Storm See, Trooper. That's cool device. stuff. You're, you're not turning it into, like, a freaking lamp on your bedside or anything. Like, <laughs> no, this, no, I this, this, this would be just crap. <laughs> this would be for the studio, for sure. This wouldn't be a uh, a house piece. <laughs> but see, you know what? I, I just looked. I clicked on another link of theirs. There's the Star Trek schematic illuminated display. And it looks like the Master Systems display. And it's got an LED cycling thing. And... Mm-hmm. And it looks cool. And you I don't get that because that that looks like that looks like a prop from the show. That looks like something for your Star Trek themed room that would actually look cool and not dorky like a taking a little bridge model and slapping a lamp on it. No thanks. <laughs> T- tell us how you really feel, Eric. Here's a. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, stop, stop. Like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, here's the link to what I'm thinking of. I would buy that. For thirty bucks, than this thing, and you could choose your. Oh yeah, I've seen that. I would do that, right? Yeah, no, that's cool. See, yeah, and it has two interchangeable plates. You got one for the original series and one for next gen. So oh, it's I... like two, two, two lamps in one. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call this a lamp. I have one of these uh, that's uh, BB-8 from the Force Awakens. And it, they're pretty cool. Basically, it's basically just a clear piece of plastic with, like, the laser etching of the design. Yeah. And it sits in a little plastic base with LEDs that change color. And you can either choose for it to stay on one color or you can, uh, if you one of the ch- options cycles through the colors so that it changes color all the time. It, it's a pretty cool little thing. I got it as a Christmas gift. It was actually one of my Secret Santa presents uh, from, the, from the Blue Ribbon Army Secret Santa we did. Nice. So, um it's it it is pretty cool. I don't know I don't know how big this one is. I don't know that I'd pay thirty bucks for it. It's ten and a half inches wide by eight and a half tall. So basically it's like a sheet of, of letter paper. Yeah, so it's it's a little bigger than my BB eight then. My BB eight is about eight inches tall, but it's only about four inches wide. So it's it's probably about the same height, but way wider than what I have. See, I, I would like that more because, there, and there's no cancer, freaky cancer warning thing on this. So <laughs> you could eat this one. If you had to eat a lamp, 
eat this one instead of the other one. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just think these lambs are crap. I, okay, all right, all right. We so, we so get it. Eric. We get no it. Uh, from all of us. <laughs> much more emphatic no from Eric Barry. We. <laughs> They have to justify you, sir, because they're like, "Hey, yeah, uh, Lego mini f- uh, figures fit perfectly in these." Like, okay, you know, you know what we've done here, Aaron. We with this product for the Would You Buy It, we have awakened the wolf inside, Eric Berry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I start getting flashbacks to bad Star Trek products, and I'm like, Ah, Kalesh. Yeah, I segue us back to the topic at hand. (laughs) I tried. I tried. The the light of 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 Kalesh burns deep inside of me because of my hatred for these lamps. That is no torchbearer. I'll tell you that. Oh, (laughs) sorry. And I've killed him. <laughs> We've broken Aaron. That's oh. all right. All right, so let's get back to the topic at hand. Spectral scan, Star Trek Discovery, Episode Eleven, The Wolf Inside. This one, I, I think they, I think she said in her in her log entry, uh, whatever they, whatever they're calling the, they're not doing it as log entries, more as just uh, her inner monologue going on. But she said it had been two days. That she had been on board the Xinjiang. Yeah, when when she's getting the rub down from Saru. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> so awkward. Yet I had to chuckle. I'm just watching with weird rubber fingers, like trying to massage. Oh, and and not only weird like rubber fingers, but it's Doug Jones like super long freaky fingers anyway. Right. <laughs> on top of that and when he was doing that i pictured like all the other aliens he's been with or monsters with long fingers and he always does some weird finger thing and anytime he's one of those creatures so i was just like all right this is Sarah's weird uh finger moment in the show here yeah, we are it was it was an awkward moment and you could tell i mean it was definitely i felt it was poignant to the story like we we laugh uh, because it was kind of awkward and weird but at the same time what it tells us is that first of all Saru does exist in this mirror universe he is on the Shenzhou with Michael Burnham but he is literally her slave he he says as much because she asks him his name and he's like what the heck are you talking about I ain't got no name I'm a slave so yeah it's super awkward but at the same time major story point and yeah, what I thought was also made the scene even more awkward was because in the original universe, there's always been this rivalry between them. And, you know, I've heard them say a, a lot of times on interviews and stuff that their relationship is like brother and sister or whatever. Well, I never really got that in the show itself. It always seemed more of like a friendly competition rather than brother and sister. This whole scene really makes you feel for Michael Burnham because you can t- tell she's just as creeped out about this whole thing. I mean, as as we are, the audience, like that's that's the whole point of it. It just further emphasizes that this mirror universe is truly effed up. Yeah, it's it's a really awkward scene, but it's also very important. I think the the thing that struck me about it was the realization 
about how the power play here is affected by her nudity in this scene. I mean, we don't see it. I mean, it's not on screen. You know, don't be going running to your screens looking for the freeze frame button. I'm just saying, like, she has to disrobe in front of him because she's getting in the bath because he's there to service her. And so you can tell you, you she has this look on her face like, you know, it's super awkward for her because in the normal universe, normal type of situation, she would be the in the position of weakness there if she were had to be naked in front of him for some reason. Whereas in their universe, it's a power play. It's totally like, yeah, I'm going to get completely naked in front of you because I don't consider you to be equal to me. So I don't care if you see me naked because you're not my equal. It doesn't even matter. It's like it's like undressing in front of your dog. You don't care about doing it because you oh, don't I consider care. them your equal. <laughs> well, <laughs> I consider my dog my equal. I don't let him see me naked at all. I do things in front of my dogs that I, I got four dogs in my house. I would never be able to take a shower if I didn't get naked in front of my dogs. I mean, come on. <laughs> but, um, uh, and then it, it kind of goes with her whole point of saying that, you know, she's kind of getting used to this place and, and, but she doesn't want to get used to it. Like this, this isn't normal. So, I, I really like that this whole scene reinforces how not normal this is yeah. for her. And the reason she's giving that monologue to Tyler when they're in bed also naked, that, yeah, she she feels alone in this, and it's strange, and she doesn't want to get used to it. She doesn't want to get sucked into this uh, feeling of power that the mirror universe has because when you have that much power, it, it can definitely corrupt. And I'm not saying Burnham would ever fall, you know, completely into this, but I can see how someone could just lose themselves in a type of universe like this, where, you know, you could pretty much get away with literal murder yeah. and be fine with it. I mean, that That's how she kind of established herself back on the ship was literal murder. You know, well, I mean, granted yeah. it was self-defense in this particular case, but they didn't know that. And they were quite happy to cheer her and clap for her, regardless of knowing the situation. She could have just completely stabbed him in the back and pushed his dead body out of the turbo lift. And they would have clapped and cheered for her just the same as with what actually happened. You know, it, it didn't matter. And yeah, she's, I, I'm glad that we see in this episode, you know, we'll talk about it as we get down into what happens in order, but we do see the moment in this episode where we realize she hasn't fallen into that trap just yet. Right. What I love though, is in scenes with her just walking through the corridors is her swagger. She nailed down the mirror universe swagger like instantly. Yeah. I mean, I, I just love seeing her walk down the corridor in the mirror universe. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She's nailing it. She knows what she has to do. And there's just the briefest moments when she's, you know, she just gets that, that look on her face where she's like, really, this is what's happening here. Like I cannot. And then it's so brief. It's so fleeting. Right. But she gets over it and, you know, continues to do what she needs to do. And that's what she's talking about in that monologue about how she's finding it easier and easier to get by and how much it upsets her that it, she's finding it easier. But at the same time, the easier it is, the more likely she is to survive this mission. So, yeah, it's it's really tough on her right now. And what's really great about this show 
is that we're feeling that too. It's not just her telling us, hey, I'm having a tough time here. And we're like, okay, I guess so. We can see it and feel it too. And that's all due to the writing and the acting. So uh, once more, again, I say thank you to the writers, directors, producers, and the actors on this show for just weaving me a story that I am falling in love with. So moving on here, we have the Imperial flagship, the captain of the flagship under the orders of the emperor orders the Zen Zhao to hunt down and kill the Firewolf, the Klingon who leads the multi-species resistance against the Terrans. Burnham speaks with Lorca and instead uses this opportunity to learn how a Klingon might come to lead a group of desperate races with very different ideologies. Talks to, to Lorca because originally he's like, yeah, just do it. Just do what you're told. Bomb the planet from above. Don't give them any warning. Don't tell them you're coming. Just bomb the crap out of them. You got to do what you got to do. And she's like, no, like, I can't do that. <laughs> like, seriously, like, that's straight up murder and on a wide, large scale. And these people are the closest thing this universe has to a federation. You know, I can't do that. Lork is looking in bad shape in this scene. Like you can tell he spent some time in those boxes, and he is he is not feeling good. You can tell he's dehydrated. You can tell he's not quite thinking straight. He's still trying to maintain, but he is he's he's starting to crack. Like you can start to see, you know, his his whole image that he projects of this super strong character is starting to crack around the edges a little bit. Kind of like what we saw when uh, Admiral Cornwell was about to take his ship away from him, like you saw the cracks around the edges of this facade and you're starting to see it again here. So it's going to be interesting to see how far that goes in, in coming episodes. Yeah. Like I, I, I love that whole scene because she still has to report to him as, you know, he's the captain, but I like that she turns it around and, and takes command of the situation and makes the right call because, yeah, you know, he's saying, yeah, just go along with it, you know, kill these people, whatever. But she can realize that the whole key at the potential for getting peace through the Klingons is what the Klingons have done in this universe. And we'll talk about it in a bit, but that's, we find out why that's revealed is because a Klingon house that's united only when all the houses are united can they accept others in. And I think that's a great point because in the other Star Trek series, you know, moving on into the future, we see that the Klingon houses are united under one, like, chancellor or emperor or whatever. So it's kind of informing the future that, yeah, we, we're going to see a unified Klingon Empire in the future because the Klingons in D-Space Nine, they were able to form an alliance with us against the Dominion and became trusted partners. There's a lot of great ties here to what informs the future of Star Trek, but I like that Michael, even in the darkest of times, she's still trying to find the peaceful solution to all this, even in a, a mere universe that's completely insane. She's still trying to do the right thing, despite what other people are saying. And that's, that's awesome. Right. And I love the light in her eyes as she's talking about this potential yes. 
alliance between alien races that's the closest this universe has seen to a united federation again the actress just absolutely killing it um just selling the part you know body and soul it's fantastic you know they get their orders from the emperor proxy guy uh the the mirror detmer is just all about all right let's load up those torpedoes and i love how uh michael burnham takes command of the situation and she calls them all soft and I love how fast on the fly she can adapt to situations. And she's using this as her opportunity to go down there alone on the planet, but she's making it seem to all of them like she's this ruthless badass. So she's saying, well, it's time to get our feet a little dirty and I'll lead the away mission down there. And then just telling Detmer, don't even presume to know what my orders are like i love that whole way that she's able to literally command the situation my favorite part of that scene is when she's like like okay well prep the photon person she's like what did you say like she looks at her like are you out your damn mind and <laughs> we we have our orders no i have my order you yeah. your orders from me like oh damn and the way all of the crew and we really saw this in the previous episode but we see it from detmer in this episode the way they are terrified of her i shudder to think what mirror michael burnham did on this ship in the past like i'm just imagining the worst tortures the the worst of everything that could possibly happen to people because they wouldn't even like they wouldn't make eye contact with her like if they like made the briefest of eye contact with her they're like oh gosh i got to turn my head away real fast because oh my god you can't make eye contact like they were like seriously terrified of her you know that's another good point because when that first happened in the last episode when those two guys in the transporter room averted her gaze mm-hmm. like that is a good mirror to when she first got on the discovery as an inmate and everyone was kind of like shunning her so now they're just they're fearful of her and but in a different way in the mirror universe and so I really love the juxtaposition that they have going on with the storytelling. And Eric, like you've said before, this show is so multi-layered and multifaceted that you can start seeing how beautifully written and directed it is because we have all these little hints and, and callbacks, not just visually, but emotionally as well. Exactly. Yeah, it's just absolutely fantastic and the actors are killing it as far as how they're selling it and oh so much so much going on and we've only got a few episodes left and that that part is sad to me like i think about how few episodes are actually left in this season and i think like oh there's no way they're gonna wrap everything up in this amount of time but i'm trusting them for the payoff on this because you know they they haven't steered me wrong yet so i'm trusting that they're going to give me the payoff i want for this it's it's been an amazing ride so far and i i can't wait for more yeah totally so next we have burnham and tyler they make their way to the rebel headquarters on the planet in there once they beam down they're being fired upon from these like phase cannons it's it's kind of like what Worf had in insurrection <laughs> 
yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like those shoulder mounted, shoulder mounted phase cannon things. Yeah, I mean, th- these were some impressive weapons being shot at two almost defenseless uh, humans. Well, I want to know if these rebels were trained by stormtroopers, though, because <laughs> they were just out <laughs> in the open. And they got four or five good shots off on them and didn't hit crap. I mean, seriously. Well, were they trying to kill them or were they just trying to scare them? Every indication seems to me that they would have killed them if they had the chance. It wasn't until they were both there with their hands up, weapons clear, that they actually gave them the opportunity to speak. So I, my impression is that they are going to defend their, you know, they see imperial people show up in their area they're going to shoot to kill yeah. so i don't know maybe their maybe their equipment's just bad because it is piecemeal you know they don't have the resources that the empire does everything is patchwork together from different races technologies and such so it's possible that it's the equipment's fault you know we could definitely say that but i just I'm, i felt like they got too many shots off to not hit them <laughs> like they should mm-hmm. have gotten to the point of where they were surrendering quicker <laughs> No, I, I I feel you there. There's a big reveal. Andorians. That's the big <laughs> not where, reveal. Yeah, and not where I was going, but... For a second, you were going to get past this without talking about the Andorians. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even believe you right now. Uh, no, the Andorian was cool. He looked really cool, and, uh, like, whatever, like, actor they got for it, I like, just his voice was very unique, too. Like, just a really deep kind of warbly voice but let's talk about just i mean briefly before this reveal and entertainment weekly gave out the preview pictures the the day of but we have newly designed tellerites and andorians thanks to you know neville page and his uh makeup team who created the klingons and let, let me just say as as a star trek fan i'm glad that they didn't drastically alter those two species like they did the Klingons. Like, Uh there were some extra little doodads on the Andorian and Tellarite, but it wasn't enough for me to go, well, these aren't, these aren't (laughs) what they're supposed to be. And I love that they had the Andorian's antenna moved, just like Enterprise. That was great. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. The aliens looked fantastic, both the uh, Andorians and the Tellarites. And it wasn't a drastic, drastic change from what we've seen before, but it was updated, like everything else we've seen. So, you mm-hmm. know, I, I would have been disappointed if they looked exactly like they did on Enterprise, because guess sure. what? Filmmaking technology has improved since then. They should look better, and they did. But they were still definitely recognizable as Andoria. There was no question. There wasn't like, oh, what's this race? Oh, Somebody has to tell me that they're Andorian because otherwise I wouldn't know. Um, you know that's that wasn't the situation. But, but even even then, when stuff's going down and people are saying stuff, and they have the clear shots of each alien species, so even for newbies, they they broke it down. And we have to kind of realize, as old hat to the Trek universe, that there are people that this is their first Trek. Right. So, and I thought they did it in a great way. They, you know, mentioned them, they showed them, and then they did it one more time when, you know, when we're, when we're going through the reveal and we're seeing flashbacks of them being mentioned again. So yeah. there's kind of one... That's what I was referring to, yeah. 
Yeah, there's just one little reiteration just to make sure, hey, everybody, this is what an Andorian looks like. This is what a Tellarite looks like. We know the Klingons. Uh, here's the Vulcans over here. Everybody good? Okay, let's move on. Yeah, I, I really like the chiseled features in the Andorian. Yeah, me too. And it, it kind of, you know, reflects their supposed personality, like their hard, icy personality. So, yeah, I, I definitely like that they were a bit more chiseled and defined. You know, they've got some insect features. So, yeah, so you could say that's, you know, a more harder exoskeleton type of appearance. So, I know, I, I very much liked it. I just hear they're cold in all the wrong places. <laughs> and the Tellerites were, were interesting. Uh, definitely different than... Than Enterprise, for sure. Than Enterprise, definitely different than the original series, <laughs> where we ba- they were basically just uh, just like a pig costume. Yeah, it was just, uh, okay, yeah. here's a person, but they have a pig nose, a little bit extra hair. Same series that literally put a horn on a dog and called it an alien species. <laughs> so, let's not look to TOS for our makeup guidelines. <laughs> but I wish they kept... Uh, the one improvement I did like from Enterprise, because on Enterprise they had like the three fingered hands. Uh huh. Yeah. That, like more like hooves. Yeah. And so I I wish they kept that for these new Tellarites. I, I honestly had not noticed that uh, specifically. So yeah, it would have been a, something like that. You'd think they would would keep. It's not a deal breaker for me. It's just little visual cues. And and you can always say that there's different variations. I mean, Earth can't be the only planet with with different color peoples and different looking people in it. So just assume that any alien planet has a wide degree of variation on their base humanoid form. So... I'm fine with it. Absolutely. That's one thing I think they're getting absolutely right with the Klingons in this series that we haven't seen really in the past is that we are seeing some degree of variation. Yes, the the albino one specifically is a bit of an outcast, but we do see that there are differences even amongst the rest of them. There are slight variations between the different houses and such. So, yeah, I, I like that they're doing that, and hopefully we'll see more of that as we see more alien species they won't all look exactly the same yeah so we have mirror universe vogue and it was such a great reveal because as soon as you heard that voice and saw him i'm like oh my god this is it this is the moment and they even did that i think it was like right like before a quote-unquote commercial break or or fade out and even my wife was like oh that's that's vogue and i'm like (laughs) yep (laughs) <laughs> so what a, what a great reveal that he's the leader of the rebellion and it makes sense in our universe he was the torchbearer he was to unite all of the klingon peoples together and now here he's not afforded that because he's fighting against the terran empire so it seems like in this universe, the Klingons are already united. So he went a step beyond and now had to unite these other species. And that was the whole point of what Burnham was trying to find out. So I, I love the reveal. Yeah, I thought it was fantastically done the way that, you know, even though we kind of knew it was coming. At yeah, the, it was still 
powerful. That's that's what I love about the show is even when they give us something that we have been expecting or anticipating, it still comes off powerfully. It's not a letdown. I wasn't let down by this reveal, even though it was something that had been theorized quite a bit, you know, by us and by others for quite some time. It still wasn't a letdown. It was still powerful, even though we thought we saw it coming. And then he, he called her Butcher of the Binary Stars. And I love, again, I love that the Mirror Universe is like distorted, twisted versions of events that happen in our universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like Enterprise showed us uh, Zephram Cochran blowing away a Vulcan <laughs> so they could steal their technology. And now we've got. Well, maybe what Burnham did was was completely opposite. It was intentional. She murdered a crap ton of of Klingons, and so yeah, I just I love how the U- mirror universe just twists events where we already know the outcome. Yeah, exactly. We you know we have this expectation of how these certain characters are supposed to act, and even though we have this, we're still shocked even sometimes when it's revealed that that's how they act. Like, we know, based on all these clues up to this point, that Mirror Michael Burnham must have been a gigantic bee. Like, completely (laughs) absolute, absolute horror. Yet when we hear something like Butcher of the Binary Stars, we're like, whoa, man, what did she do? Like, it's still a little surprising because of what we know of our version of the character. So, you know, even though we know our character was ready to fire on them first, she wasn't trying to slaughter, you know, hundreds of thousands of them. She just wanted to disable the one ship to send a message that, Hey, we're not going to back down. Well, in the mirror universe, she's like, kill everybody, kill everybody right the heck now. Yeah. And so Voke brings, the prophet out to determine her true motives. And this is where we see mirror universe Sarek. And I love the goatee. You got to <laughs> keep up the tradition of goatees on mirror universe Vulcans, uh, especially ones whose son are named Spock. So <laughs> I, I guess mirror Spock got all of his uh, facial grooming tips from his dad. So, <laughs> but, um, but Mirror Universe Sarek mind melds with Burnham, and he sees this completely different version of events. He sees a whole nother universe. And I'm glad he was smart enough not to disclose all that to everyone, but he was able to sense her real compassion for, you know, just who Michael is. And it's not the same person that faced him off and, and butcher the binary stars. So she is telling the truth. And I, I just love how this whole situation happened in the show. Yeah, I agree. The way that when, when he mind melds and he's seeing not only her, but he's seeing himself and he's right. got to realize like, I'm seeing me, but that's not me. Like he's processing a lot of information right there. And yeah, mm-hmm. for him to be like not immediately 
I don't know, like this person, something's wrong with this person. Like this person does not belong here. Like what's up? Go, you know, I need to, I need to take some time to think about this. No, instead he goes past all of that shock that he's like, you look on his face. He's like, what in the heck are you? (laughs) The question at hand is whether or not you mean us harm right now. And I can definitively say, no, you do not. So, and and he stands by that. Even after you know Tyler goes a little nutty and uh, attacks uh, Mirror Voke over here, he still stands. He's like, no, I I only read her mind. Like, I can't talk about this guy over here, but I read her mind, and she is serious about you know wanting peace and not wishing you harm. Seeing Voke, the Mirror Voke, Tyler ends up attacking Mirror Voke. Because he basically embodies the complete opposite of what he's trying to do. And what a great, again, great direction, great writing. They tie that in with flashbacks of Takumba. And the way that they're able to, like, hit beat for beat what Mirror Voke is saying. And it's going against everything that Tyler slash Voke thinks it was brilliant like that was the thing these conflicting thoughts that was the final piece to fully bring him into voke mode and when he just belts out that you know klingons remain pure or whatever it it almost felt like symbolistically like you know a suicide bomber doing their final call before they blow everything up you know it 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 so mirrors what is going on today for us for real that it was it was really powerful when he just like snaps yep and i mean voke versus voke it's it's nuts it was such a great fight scene because you see them them fighting with each other and at no point did I, you know, there's been plenty of times when in movies or TV shows we've had characters supposedly fighting themselves, and there's moments where you can clearly see where, oh, there's the stunt double, oh, there's the stunt double, oh, there it is, there it is again. There weren't any moments in this fight scene for me. Like, they filmed it in such a way that it looked like Voke fighting Tyler the entire time, even though we know that it's the same actor portraying both parts. They had to film that fight scene basically identically twice. Yeah. With, with the, with the actor playing both sides of the fight and just absolutely brilliantly done. Like kudos to the fight choreographer and the director mm-hmm. and cinematographer on that scene, because I couldn't tell. When and, was- and Shazad Latif, because yeah, I mean, he, he had to play like essentially, three different types of characters <laughs> yeah. and it's it's insane like i watched the after track and can we just give this guy an emmy because for real yeah he's, he's Voke, he's mirror Voke, and he's tyler and it, and he's like Voke in tyler as well oh <laughs> man just absolutely fantastic job i hats off to him like i said the the casting on this show has been brilliant several of these actors i had never heard of before like, I look back and I'm like, oh, okay, I've seen what they've done and whatever, but I've never really heard that much of them. You know, I knew Sonequa Martin-Green from Walking Dead. Uh, I'd seen, you know, I, I've seen some episodes and I saw her in it. It's like, okay, great. Um, obviously, Jason Isaacs, 
I know who that is. But a lot of these other people are brand new to me. And to see them just absolutely murdering these parts is amazing. The casting crew on this just did a phenomenal job at finding actors to play these parts. Yeah, no, everyone's great. One thing I want to mention with Tyler's uh, fighting Voke, Tyler seemed like he was in Klingon attack mode and tried attacking him like a Klingon would. He tried to headbutt Voke, and that didn't work at all for him. Because, <laughs> yeah, because he's thinking, oh, yeah, I'm still all Klingon. And it's like, nope, you're basically a human now, but oh. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I found that funny. Uh, we did find some, you know, some of the things that we've theorized over the past few episodes, and even just the last episode, we specifically theorized about how that, you know, we, we had basically assumed as of last episode that Tyler was Voke, Voke was Tyler, even though it hadn't been officially revealed. We assumed that. But we did still have questions. Is it Tyler's body with Voke's mind imprinted on it? Or was it Voke's body reduced down to human with Tyler's mind put over Voke's temporarily? And that's what it is. Which is exactly what we both, you know, that's what we said we thought it was. And, in fact, he said it. He said, my body was reduced to that of a human. And, you know, and that's how he feels about it, that he was reduced to that. A reveal that, while we saw it coming, it was still awesome. No, it was. And, uh, Aaron, I'm so glad that you put this link to the Beneath the Skin comic mm-hmm. where we see you know the the klingon from a trouble with tribbles going through this exact same procedure so we know that klingons are, are capable of this and have done it many times in the past and they also talked about it on after trek which was great so it's still it all connects back to the prime timeline they're using multiple sources to craft these stories, whether it's books or comics or the prime timeline. So even though this reveal was a long time coming and a a lot of people theorize that this would happen, but we didn't know all the exact details of how or why or when things would reveal the way that they're revealed. And the way that they're doing it, even though it might be quote unquote predictable, or, you know, we, we can theorize about it. The way that they're doing it is still completely shocking when it happens. Even though we can see something like this coming, until it fully hits us, we don't even know. Yeah, like, we're, we're sitting here talking for months about how we think Tyler is Vogue and Vogue is Tyler. But never once in any of those discussions did we say, and I bet what happens is he runs into Mirror Vogue and has to fight himself, and that's how it's revealed. Never once. That wasn't a thought in our heads at that point. So, you know, until we saw the clip where we like, hey, wait a minute, is that Mirror Vogue fighting Tyler? Like, wait a minute. Like, until we saw that, that was the first time we really theorized that that would be the reveal. Oh, man, just absolutely mind-blowing still. Like, the fact that they're able to feed us stuff that we've already guessed and still make us go... <gasps> while doing it is amazing and at at this point in time burnham still doesn't know that he's Voke, which is the yet. most heartbreaking thing of all gosh 
when she's because they had that whole speech together when he was talking about how she was his tether, which is something that I had theorized before. Like the reason that the prayer didn't immediately wake up Vogue was yep. because Ty- the Tyler personality had fallen in love with Michael. So, and that's exactly what he said. He said, you know, when I felt like I was tipping over, I thought about you. I thought about what made me want to stay human. And the fact that he's he's fighting this battle, and again, kudos to the actor, because he's, he's fighting this battle within himself, and he's just, you know, y- you see it in his face, and it's so believable that he's, he's struggling with this. And then you get to that moment when... Oh, Pierce. he cr- he cracks his neck and just like yeah, he's just like oh, it's like oh crap, it's Vogue now, <laughs> it's straight up Vogue now. Tyler's gone. Tyler has left the building. And I know because it is the same actor. Like I, I get it. That's you know really his voice that he's doing it. But still, seeing Vogue's voice come out of Tyler, like with all the Klingon stuff, it's still freaky. Like, even though I know it's the same actor, you know, playing two different characters, it's just, it's still very creepy to to hear that, that Klingon Voke speak out of Ash Tyler's body. Like, it's it's weird. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and at this point, even, Burnham still hasn't quite realized what's happened. She still thinks that it's Tyler yeah. who's been it's brainwashing. brainwashing. Yeah. And so she's like, no, it's not you. You're Tyler. You're this person. And, and he's oh. like, when he's like, you fought like a coward. You scratched at my eyes. And she's like, oh, wait, I didn't tell anybody that. But, yeah. Oh, oh that, crap. Like the, the look on her face, like seriously, like, oh, no. <laughs> like it was beautifully acted, beautifully directed. Just once again, just but, another moment in time that could have been so cheap and cheesy if done wrong and it was done so beautifully it just ah uh, i love this show but but yeah like oh me too but yeah when when she gets that final realization that oh i didn't i didn't testify to that like oh shit. that that was so well done and it was such a small point to convince her because it was an intimate detail that only the two of them would know and and as we as, as fans have seen that, so for that to be the, the final deciding thing for her where it's like, yeah, that, that's the final bit of proof is, is crazy. It's just that level of detail that they built into the story. It's, it's just very smart writing from the writer's room. It is. It's absolutely brilliant. And that leads us to where, you know, so they, they're they fighting, basically. They're trying, they're struggling. He, he you know, she has a, a phaser, but he manages to knock it away, and he's choking her, and he's about, you know, he's pretty much overcome her. Right, and this is back on the ship, by the way. Oh, yeah, they, they're back on the Xinjiang by now. Right? Yeah. So, during this whole conversation. This brings me to a question I had for you guys. So, we see, you know, they fight, you know, he's obviously getting the better of her in this fight. He is very close to killing her. And Saru busts in, Mirror Saru, who has no name because he's a slave, busts in and saves her life. My question, is this based on the bond that they've formed only over the last couple of days? Or has well, no, no, no. Um, no. actually been fairly decent to this Saru 
you know, in comparison, I suppose to, to everybody else, like, has she been decent enough to him to warrant this type of uh, loyalty out of him? So obviously this mirror Saru has been, you know, the, the captain's slave for, (laughs) for a while. And so when, you know, when he's saying, oh, you know, I'm going to give you these, um, what do they call it? Like a, a, a ablution, Absol- absolution or something. Yeah. Ablusions or, or whatever, you know, basically, you know, your daily ritual. It's to a clean. ritual washing is what it is. So that, that whole thing where, where he's going through that whole ritual, it's a very intimate ritual to begin with. I mean, even he's even like reaching over her and like putting on the belt. And it seems like they've done that enough. He's done that enough with mirror Burnham where that's one of her small pleasures is that she gets to have this slave to bathe her and do all this stuff. But mirror Saru, even though he's a slave, he takes it very seriously. And there's a certain loyalty that he has, even though she's the baddest bee in the galaxy. He, he knows he's safe with her because even though he's a slave, well, he's slave to like the number one captain. So he'll be fine. So yes, there is going to be that loyalty where, yeah, he's going to save her if she's in trouble even though he's a slave, because even though he's a slave, another captain might just be disgusted of him and kill him outright. So it's in his best interest to save the captain, no no matter how bad she is, because at the end of the day, he's working for her. So his loyalty has to be like 110%. You get get what I'm saying? I get you. So my, my quick question is, did Saru bathe Captain Connor? <laughs> <laughs> because this has to be the captain's uh, slave. Right. And the way Burnham and the Mirror Saru uh, met, it seemed as though she had never... Well, she acted as though she didn't know who he was. Because she asks the name, and he goes, a slave doesn't have a name. But but to Eric's point, that, that might have been, like, a test. You know, okay. like, like he might have thought, oh, this is just a test of my loyalty. Yeah. Well, he's like, well, you know, a slave doesn't have a name. But it could be when she accidentally calls him Saru, that mm-hmm. I think he may have been tipped off somehow. Yeah, he, like, peaked up when she said that. Yeah. yeah. That was kind of my my thought process. I'm like, would would he have done the same for the Mirror Burnham two days prior? Or is this because he's felt some kind of con- connection with this new Burnham who somehow... Now, the question is, did he recognize that as his name? Or in the Mirror Universe, are Kelpians bred in captivity and never given a name and just slaves their entire life? Or when you know, be it too. was he captured and his name taken from him? And what, did he recognize his name? Like, how did you know what my name was? Like, yeah, it was a test that, yeah, you know, I said I don't have a name. But then you literally called me by my name, which, like, you probably shouldn't know, like, or care about. If you did know it, like, you shouldn't care what my name was. So that that was what tipped right. me off. Like, just to make me think about the question, like, would 
would that have gone down the same had it been the actual Mirror Burnham, or would have Saru been just like, hey, uh, well, let's just see who wins this fight, and then I'll pledge my allegiance. Because, <laughs> of course, the security team busted in, and, of course, they're first pointing at him because he's the alien. And he's like, he was making an attempt on the captain's life. Like, wasn't me. Seriously. Just a fantastic scene because it does raise these questions. Like, has yeah. Mirror Burnham or has Burnham, has our Burnham already had an effect on the Mirror Universe that we're only just starting to see right now? Yeah. Even just in Saru. And that, that's why I asked the question. I mean, it could go either way. I'm not just even to one theory or the other at this point. I'm just throwing the sure. But but it works both ways because even if he if if Kelpians are never named, the fact that she gave him a name even right could could be enough. So it, it works for either way, whether he had his name taken away and she gave it back to him, or you know he he recognized that name. So. It, it works both ways, but you're right. I do think that our Burnham, even acknowledging him like that with a name, was I think that was enough to maybe even inspire more loyalty in Saru. So that situation went down like it did. And Kelpians are very strong, apparently. <laughs> As we know from previous episodes, they, they got some strength. They got some strength. Yeah. Sure. So we we move on, and uh, of course, you know now Tyler, as as far as they know, has been captured and caught red-handed attempting to assassinate the captain. There's literally only one punishment for this: he has to be executed. And Which we saw in the, um, I, I almost want to say teaser, but that was the longest teaser in Star Trek history. That was a fourteen-minute like, teaser. Yeah. Yeah, I had almost forgot that we hadn't seen the credits yet, and then the credits came on. I was like, "Oh yeah," <laughs> but but we saw that towards the end of that fourteen minute uh, teaser where they we see the people that were in the agonizing uh, agonizer booths uh, from the last episode, and they were just beamed cold dead in the space, and it was such a disturbing shot in in that scene. Yeah, and it was of course it was of course set up for this final scene because right. what we needed to do we needed to establish the method of execution that the empire uses and that method is to just transport the prisoner into space alive so that they die literally in the vacuum of space. And so it set up this great I mean I just had my this whole scene set me up for I was going I was up and down and up and down and up and down thinking is she going is she going to do it? She's not going to, there's no way she's going to do it. Is she going to do it? And then, so they set it up. They, they have him on the transporter pad. He, she goes up to him supposedly to give him one last chance to say something. And all he does is, you know, shout Klingon at her, which I'm sure nobody else in the room understood. And she didn't have a translator on. So I'm sure she didn't even know what he was saying. Yeah. I think we, as the audience were the only people, you know, quote unquote in the room who knew what he was saying. And then we see her beam him. And I thought for, I'm like, look, I'm like, no, 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 she's not, she's not going to beam him in space. She's not going to do it. She's not, no, this isn't her. Like, I don't care what she, what he's done. That's not, we're going to see him beam somewhere else. It's not going to be into space. And then we see the shot where he materializes in space. And I was like, holy crap, she did it. (laughs) And then he transports again. (laughs) 
<laughs> back on the discovery. I'm like, Oh goodness. Cause for a moment, for just that briefest of moments, I thought, Oh no, the mirror universe has done it. They've broken Michael. And for just that briefest of moment, I was like, no. And then, Oh, yay. They didn't. Not yet. But <laughs> so, super smart on her part because stuffing that chip so that the discovery could do it. And obviously she called ahead. We just didn't know about it as an audience, but what a great reveal. Oh, it was amazing. And I love, again, kudos to this actor. I, I can't, I can never say his name. Uh, Shazad Latif. Yes. Oh, did it. Oh, yay. Go me. Um, Shazad Latif. Fantastic. Like the look on his face when Saru pulls that chip out of his little side pocket thing is like, she completed her mission. He's like, mother's, oh, dang it. He's like, I'd rather be dead right now than to have helped her complete her mission. Well, he would rather be dead. Exactly. That, and that's, it was portrayed perfectly on his face. He was like, son of a gun. Like, mother trucker, I am so mad right now. Um, just, yeah, it was beautifully done. Just Absolutely. But yeah, the ups and downs it gave us as the audience. I mean, for me personally, like that's how I felt. I'm like, I'm like sitting there. No way. No way. She's not going to do it. She's not going to do it. She's not going to go through with it. She's going to change the coordinates and transport him someplace where he can breathe into another ship or a shuttle or an escape pod or something. Something's going to happen. He's not going to, she's not, she's not going to do it. She's not going to bring him into space. And then he materializes in space. And I'm like, what? Not the funny thing about that scene is Ashley, my wife goes, Discovery's going to beam him aboard. And I was like, no way, Discovery's too far away. And then, bam, she's right. Well, remember, Saru's orders when they left were to stay just close enough to beam us out if we get into trouble. So they're, they're are literally at just the very, very edge of transporter range. They're supposed to be following at just the very edge of transporter range. Um, and I think that's why they threw that line in there a couple episodes ago, just to give us that hint that they'd be following along uh, and, and available. And so, um, yeah, I'm sure Burnham, you know, gave him a quick message to be like, okay, quick rundown. Uh, Tyler's folk, he killed Culber. I'm sending him with the chip. Uh, I'm going to send him into space, find him and beam him up before he dies. Uh, Got to go. Bye. <laughs> I can just imagine through going like, oh, wait, what? And like that, I, I wish they would have put that communication into the show because I think it would have been fantastic because <laughs> it would have had to have been like so quick, like quick rundown, like boom, 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 boom. Here you go. I'm out. I got to go deal with this right here. And actually uh, something I, I completely neglected to put into notes here is everything that's happening with Stamets. Oh, yes. I love that Tilly uh, asserted herself to Saru and said, look, Doctors aren't cutting you anymore. This is a spore issue. I'm the expert on that, aside from Stamets. And the fact that they were able to... And I I looked at it this way, like because they set so many things up in the beginning of the series. It was established that the spores were essentially the food for the tardigrade. So... It's not like Stamets is just going to walk in there and just start eating the glowing spores or whatever. But that's what they need. That's what he needs. Is I think this whole time he's been using this ability, he hasn't been receiving any of the nourishment 
of that symbiotic relationship like he should that the tardigrade was doing. And, you know, they use a, they throw out a whole lot of trachnobabble uh, out there, but that's essentially what it is. Tilly was just feeding him like the tardigrade would feed off these spores. And even though his body really wasn't been able to take it because, uh, you know, his heart stopped, but towards the end, it, it started to have an effect. And then we get that big tease of he met mirror version of himself in this trippy spore-induced coma or whatever this is. Yeah, because he, at the very end there, his heart starts back up again. Right. Or, or at least he has some kind of brain activity. And then there were some explanations as the that white matter in his brain was some kind of trans-dimensional uh, transceiver. And once that started to... Once his brain started to normalize, uh, he was able to access that, mm-hmm. which apparently the mirror Stamets had already been able to do and was waiting for our Stamets to access. Yeah, that was such a great reveal when, uh, you know, mirror Stamets just walks up. It's like, hey, Paul, glad you finally made it. Like, he was just expecting him the entire time. So I'm thinking that Mirror Stamets has been in this mycelial plane, wherever their minds are right now, for a while. Like, trying mm-hmm. to, like, I'm, I'm wondering almost if, you know, we, we theorize about Lorca being the catalyst to this whole Mirror transition. What if it was Stamets the whole time? What if it was Mirror Stamets reaching out and pulling our Stamets into their universe just because like we don't even know his motives yet if that's the case we don't know his motives yet but what if that is why this is all happening but yeah just him showing up and being like hey Paul good to see you I'm glad you finally made it um, oh, <laughs> just, just now like, now is this the mirror Stamets that is now in the prime universe and maybe they're going to mention some things of what's going on over there like what's the deal <laughs> Well, I, as far that's that's my question: Is Mirror Stamets in the same predicament that our Stamets is, basically dead? You know, in some yeah. sort of coma where they're only functioning on the mycelial plane, where they're not actually interacting with the real universe on either side. They're both just uh, they both are just looking like they're sitting in a coma on their respective ships, but really they're floating amongst the spores, talking to each other, like. Uh, did Tilly inadvertently, you know, play into the hands of, of Mirror Stamets? Oh, man, it just, that moment when, when, because that's, you know, we've, we've theorized about so many different Mirror characters showing up, and I don't think we've ever talked about Mirror Stamets, like, at all. Like, I don't, I don't know that we've ever even brought him up. Like, it's always just been a, something that just never came up. So... It's funny that he's the one out of all of them that, like, pops up and we're like, oh, crap, what do we do with this? Right. I I think we did mention the Mirror Stamets is probably more groovy uh, (laughs) than our Stamets. All right. I'm going to do this before they end up spoiling it on an actual episode. I'm going to bring up a Mirror character that we haven't talked about yet that I'm curious about. I was actually thinking about this just the other day. So the... Yeah, mirror versions are supposed to be sort of the opposite of 
uh, of what we are, right? So, Mirror Landry, do you think we're going to see her? And do you think she's a member of the Rebellion? Mm-hmm. I think we already saw Mirror Landry. You think Mirror Landry came over with Mirror Lorca with Mer- and was there Mer- the whole time? Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's one theory. Eric, how about you? I, I think she's dead. I don't think I don't think we're gonna see her this time. As much as I'd love to see the actress return, I, I don't think we're gonna see her. I because there's just there's too much packed in. Like I, I feel that there's not going to be enough time to wrap all of this up. I don't think she's going to be a major player or anything, but I'm guessing my my prediction, I'm going to throw this out there right now as my prediction, which we all know comes true one-ish uh-huh. percent of the time, which is a great track record. <laughs> I think I'm going to say that she is alive in the Mirror Universe and that she is a member of the Rebellion and that we're probably not going to see much with her, just that the fact that she exists and is a part of the rebellion i think we might see that like literally a passing shot maybe a line or two to establish who she is not not a major player i'm not saying that she's going to be a major player in this like she might bump into i'm wondering if like mirror again assuming that the Lorca we've seen is the actual Lorca, not mirror Lorca. you know which i'm still not fully on board with i'm still thinking i'm still thinking along our lines (laughs) But if Mirror Landry ran into our Lorca, I don't imagine that they'd be as cordial as they were, obviously, probably more than cordial in our universe. So I think there, there might be a little bit of, of room to play around there. And so I think, I think we could see her again, and I think that would be fun. I think it would be fun to see her. And I think that if she is kind of the opposite of her Prime Universe character that she wouldn't be an imperial character. I feel like she would be, you know, a rebel. A rebel? A rebel. <laughs> I can pronounce words. It's okay. <laughs> uh-huh. You can pronounce them better than me. But know whose mirror universe alternate that we did see in this episode is the Emperor. Oh, yeah. Oh! And, uh, um... It's funny because <laughs> the whole time my wife was like, I, I bet the Emperor's Giorgio. <laughs> oh, I knew it. And I think yeah. You guys said last episode, I think both of you guys said, I bet the Emperor's Giorgio. And I think I was the one to center. I think I was the one going like, I don't know. Would they go that far? Yeah, It's definitely Worf, they right? They went there. Worf. It's totally Worf. So yeah. if, if I ever said, no, it's not going to be Giorgio. I apologize. It's wrong. I was I was dead wrong on that one. You guys were a hundred percent right. It, Once they started saying all the mirror episode stuff, and you know people were saying, "Oh, it's uh, you know you might see Giorgio again," and you know we thought, "Oh yeah, it might be flashbacks or whatever." But as soon as you make the mirror universe connection, it everything kind of falls into place. And the the teasers for next week. Mm. Yeah. Like, I cannot wait. I'm hoping that next week is... Though I I did like this episode, don't get me wrong. I thought it was a weak episode, or weaker than the previous episode. Definitely weaker than the previous episode, but it would be hard not to, honestly. Uh, In my Mm. opinion, I felt the last episode was one of the strongest of the series, and quite honestly, one of the strongest single episodes of television... I think I've ever seen not just across Star Trek, like just in general, 
one of the strongest episodes of television I've ever seen. So it would have been very, very hard to be better than that. So, no, I agree with you. This one definitely felt a little less intense than last week, but I still felt it pushed along the story well. I still felt enough happened that it made me excited, and I didn't uh, I, I didn't feel let down at all while watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Burry, how did you feel about the episode as a whole? So, I, I thought this episode was very much the payoff to a lot of the threads that were set up over the course of the series. Uh, just to reiterate what we said before, I think Shazad Latif and Sonequa Marin-Green just did an amazing job with their performances and really played with all of the emotions that happened for Michael, you know, these, all of these events that happened in the last few episodes and concluding with the reveal of the emperor as being Giorgio, everything about this is, is shattering every part of her being. And for her to go through all of this and still maintain the facade uh, of the mirror universe captain, it really shows her strength as a character and a Starfleet officer. And I'm wondering, is this her path to redemption to commute her life sentence? If they ever make it back, we don't even know if they're going to make it back. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's just an absolute showcase of acting. If this show is not nominated for just all the Emmys, I mean, from makeup, set design effects. Yeah. Great. We see Star Trek's and and things like that nominated for this sort of stuff all the time, but they really need to get some recognition for the acting and the direction and the cinematography and yeah. the writing. There's so much going on in this show that is so fantastic. And if they don't get some sort of recognition, I, I mean, I know awards aren't everything. I mean, ultimately, they'd rather have subscribers than awards, but. When it comes right down to it, I want to see people that have done a fantastic job get rewarded for it. So I hope that many of these actors are rewarded for their hard work with, at the very least, nominations, if not actually getting the awards, because they definitely deserve it. We are seeing such a range of emotion and just everything from these characters, and they are selling it so well. They are taking... Essentially, I mean, if you look on the face of it, they're taking an absurd storyline and selling it to us in such a way that we are buying every damn minute of it. It is fantastic. Yeah, this particular episode, if taken just individually by itself, might not stand alone quite as strong as some of the others. There's been a few others that were just like, oh my gosh, amazing episodes. But that kind of comes along with the way that they're telling the story. This is very much an arc story. So to judge an episode based on, oh, this one's better than this one, it's it's very hard to do that because it's more of a I need to tell the whole story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's unfair to the show to say, you know, any episode is beneath another. But I mean, it's true. But, um, you know, there are going to be some weaker episodes, but. As a whole, I think the story and the layers that they've been able to peel back and reveal some of these mysteries and the way that they're revealing some of these mysteries, it's just a very well done overarching series plot. 
Yeah. Like I said, the biggest thing that they've done that has been absolutely amazing, that has been more spectacular than any other show that I think I've ever watched, is the fact that they're able to feed us these twists and turns that we see coming somewhat, like we've already theorized about them, yet when they're revealed, we're not let down. Even though, hey, that's what I guessed. We're not like, oh, that's what I guessed already. No, it's like still, yeah, that's what I guessed because we're still pumped about it. The whole Vogue Tyler mm-hmm. reveal thing. You know, we've been theorizing about that since what, episode four? We, you know, we, whenever Tyler showed up was when the theory of uh, Vogue possibly being Tyler or Tyler being Vogue or whatever the case may be started mm-hmm. to, to, to bubble up. And they worked so hard to quell that that it made us think it was even more so. So by the time it's revealed, we're already like, yeah, we know. Okay, we know. But yet, the way they reveal it and the acting in the scene in which they reveal it, it's still so powerful that I didn't think for a moment of disappointment about the reveal. I was never once disappointed that, oh, hey, this is what I thought already. It was more of like, yeah, all right, this is how they're doing it. This is amazing. Like I was still still drawn into the story. And, you know, I, I've said it many times on many a podcast. I love good storytelling. They are telling me a fantastic story, Discovery is right now. And they're doing it with brilliant acting, amazing effects, just gorgeous set design and makeup work. Just everything is coming together. I have so very, very few complaints about this show, and all of my complaints about the show are so minor that it just really doesn't even matter. Like, this is just, it's just a good, good show. Whether you're a Trek fan to begin with, or whether this is your very first Trek ever, it's a good Mm -hmm. show. Totally agree. So does anyone else have any um, comments on the episode? No, I, I just... I think it's very well done. You know, we've got, what, four more episodes left? And uh, yeah. Don't remind me. It's I, I'm sorry. Part when I think about the countdown to when this season ends, and I'm just like, oh. I just, I, I kind of want the Mirror Universe stuff to be handled at least within the next two episodes, just right. so we have, like, two episodes to kind of wrap things up in the normal universe, because... We have no idea what kind of havoc's going on in our universe because of the mirror uh, discovery. So, I don't know. I hope some of those other mysteries are explored. I hope maybe we have an upbeat ending instead of uh, of a downer ending. I, I know this series is great and the storytelling is awesome, but... At some point, we got to give some of these characters a break and, <laughs> and and give them some good ending or some good news. I feel like that most likely is in the works. So I've been hearing things that originally, when when Brian Fuller was still on, supposedly all of the Mirror Universe stuff was supposed to happen way earlier in the series than how it played out. And I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Because I think how they've done it now is is just fine. I don't think a mirror universe would have worked unless you have established these characters. 
Because exactly. it wouldn't be impactful. Because it's like exactly, it's the opposite of what at that point. It, it, yeah, exactly what you said. Mirror universe has no impact whatsoever unless we're invested in the characters that we've seen already, and that's what they've done so well in this show is they've made us invested in these characters, and now they're throwing us into this mirror where we have to see the the not quite opposites. Like I said last episode, not quite opposites, just twisted. Like their their aspirations, their goals are kind of the same. Like that you can tell that they started from the same base, but were twisted by their environment and their circumstances into this weird, nasty thing that they are now. And if they'd have done that early in the season when we didn't know the characters yet, what would we care? You know? It, you know, so no, I, I definitely agree. Now is the time to do it because now we've invested in the characters. Honestly, typically in a Star Trek series, I would say don't touch Mirror Universe until like season two or three at the least. But in this case, they've done so much to develop these characters for us that I think they've earned the right to delve us into the Mirror Universe this early. But earlier than this already, that would have been too soon. Right, and it made an awesome mid-season cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Do you think we're going to get a, a, a season finale cliffhanger? Will, th- will oh. they be that cruel to us? It, I hope not. I don't. It, it depends on whether or not they wrote the series with the anticipation of a second season being confirmed or whether they wrote the season with the anticipation of, OK, we're going to write this story as if this is it. It really depends on whether the writers were looking optimistically or not. If the writers were looking optimistically saying, we're going to get a second season, we're sure of it, we're pretty sure that we're going to get a second season, they might have left a little bit of a cliffhanger to to tease us over to the next season. If, on the other hand, they were like 100%, they're like, you know what, we're not guaranteed a second season, let's tell our story. Then I think we're going to get, I think what we'll end up seeing is a complete story with a little teaser into next season for us to look forward to. Right. That's what I was just going to say. I think you know, a while ago that they were confirmed to have a second season. What would be cool, I think, is at the very end, like the communications officer goes, Captain, we have a hail coming in from the Enterprise. And then it fades out. Well, that, that would be cruel, too. <laughs> It'll be cruel, but then you're like, oh, man, I want to see that. I want to see the Enterprise under command of April or Pike or whoever is in command of the Enterprise at this point in time. Yeah, that, that's what I'm hoping for is complete this story, but give us a little teaser. Now that you know that you're getting that second season, give us a little teaser, something to, to keep our mouths watering waiting for that second season. But not a complete cliffhanger like this story isn't complete yet cliffhanger. More like yeah. just, mm-hmm. okay, we complete the story, and then we give you just a couple more minutes teasing into the next story so that we have something to latch on to when we come back. That's that's what I'm hoping for. Hopefully it'll be something awesome. I, I think it will be. So far we haven't been let down by the writers or the actors. So Absolutely. And I do want to touch on briefly, if we're done talking about the episode itself, you guys both watched the After Trek on this episode, yes? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. I did want to touch briefly on uh, Sullivan's comments on After Trek this week were amazing. The one thing is, he didn't quite answer the question that was presented to him 
exactly like he kind of did, but not quite. But I'll forgive him that because what he said was just so powerful. And I felt it was it was something that was just absolutely needed. And I hope I hope there are writer, you know, future writers and future directors out there who were watching that and saw that and and understand where he was coming from with that. You know, he talked about, you know, the the question was what was his favorite thing about working on this particular episode? And he kind of tied that in because he said that the writers and the directors on this were both women and women of color. And, you know, there was a diverse group of people basically working on this episode. And he was so proud of that fact because when he was growing up and wanted to literally do exactly what he's doing right now, working on Star Trek, that he had a whole bunch of white males that he could look up to who had done that thing. You know, he had all this group of people that were just like him, white guys who could do this thing. And so he had that to look up to. And he was very proud of the fact that now there's a whole much more diverse group of people who now have all of these role models to point to saying, well, they did it. So can I. And for me, I mean, it was just really emotional to see that, to see that this type of thing, you know, people don't always recognize when their role models are like them. You know, it's sometimes it's easy to forget that it's easy to look at your role model and not recognize the fact that, Oh yeah, it happens to be a white dude. And Oh, look at me. I'm a white dude. And think about the fact that, Hey, there are little girls out there who want to do this. There are people of color out there who want to do this. There is a great, vast, diverse group of people out there who have the ability, the talent, and the desire to do these things. And I hope that they looked at that episode and they heard his comments and they see who's doing these shows now and realize that there aren't limitations on Mm -hmm. who you have to be in order to tell these stories. You just have to tell a good story. Like, Like I always say, I always come back to this, tell me a good story. That's all I want. I don't care who's telling it. I don't care what gender you are, what nationality you are, what sexuality you are. I don't care. Just tell me a good story. And the fact that now that there's these more of these role models for people of more of a more diverse nature to be able to look up to is absolutely fantastic. And I I'm glad that he pointed that out, even if he kind of skirted around the specific question asked. I'm still glad that he said what he said because it was it was very impactful, even for me. And I can only imagine how much more impactful it would be for somebody who was not a white dude like myself. So kudos to him. I just think that that was absolutely fantastic what he said. I've always liked Ted Sullivan. Like On Twitter, he always gives great behind-the-scenes pictures. Uh, the stuff he does with Jason Gorn is hilarious. So I, I really like it when he when he's on the show, and he's definitely one of my favorite executive producers slash writers on this show. And the fact that you know he gives credit to where it's due to other people in the writers' room, and just the camaraderie that they all seem to have behind the scenes, uh, it's really fantastic. And I would love to pick his brain sometime on some of this discovery stuff because I'm glad that we have fans of the show working on the show, people who grew up with it. 
it's it's just fantastic because you can definitely tell how much love and care goes into uh, Star Trek Discovery. It's definitely one of the most hard-hitting stories we've ever had uh, in Star Trek. It, and that includes Dominion War arc, all of that stuff. Like, like this is the premier arc for for Star Trek going forward. We're, we're definitely treading uncharted waters here, and it's amazing. I agree, and I, I think that's a good place to uh, leave this episode. Eric Dewey, if we were to find you on the internet, how would we do so? You can follow me on Twitter at Eric J. Dewey, or follow the Four-Eyed Radio Network at, at the Sasquatch Net. Very good. And Mr. Barry, how would we find you on the internet? You can find me at TrekkieB47 on Twitter, Instagram, all the places of the interwebs. And check out Ranger Command Power Hour also on the Floyd Radio Network at Ranger Command PH on Twitter and RangerCommand.com. Awesome. And you can find me on the internet at... Nova Charter. And thank you all for listening this week. We appreciate it. And until next time, live long and prosper. Long live the Empire. No! Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean... No! And he's, he's one of them! <laughs> I mean... Our, our um, episode is still in process. We haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, be groovy to each other guys all I, all I have to say is what the what the heck what the hey what the hell hold your horse <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love you have been listening to the Starfleet escape podcast on the four-eyed radio network you can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod and add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfxkpod.com. <laughs>